Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tribune Audio Network. The Cities with Jim Mertens, a production of WQPT, PBS for the Quad Cities region, a podcast in partnership with WQAD. What's going on in the Quad Cities? Activities, events, fun, politics, sports, local issues and opinions. And now, your host, Jim Mertens. I'm Jim Mertens and welcome to the Cities. This month, June, the greatest generation is marking the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landing, the long-awaited World War II European invasion that in some ways would mark the start of the end of the war. Today, we remember that pivotal moment in world history, but we also want to mark a pivotal moment in the military presence in the cities, which also came this month, June, when the 1st Army officially moved its headquarters to the Rock Island Arsenal. That was no small event, and the impact of the 1st Army is still being felt. I had the privilege to sit down and talk with the commanding general of the 1st Army, Lieutenant General Thomas James Jr., the 39th 1st Army commanding general. You think about those 39 uh, commanders, and me being the 39th, and I look at that wall in the headquarters and I see <laughs> folks like General John J. Pershing, General Omar Bradley, General Hunter Liggett, and it goes on, General Russ Honore, uh, just to name a few, but it just goes on throughout history, starting in 1918, August time frame in, in Europe. You know, this was the Ar American Expeditionary Force mm -hmm. where, where uh, John J. Pershing formed the first army, the first field army of the Army of the United States in Europe. And, and it's located in Rock Island, and I think a lot of people don't even realize that. I mean, it is a huge deal for the First Army to have moved its headquarters here eight years ago. And I know when you talk to the Chamber of Commerce, if you talk to business leaders, it was a major milestone for the Quad City area. How has the partnership gone? Because I know lately you've been welcoming some of the community leaders kind of to talk about what you're about and what they're about and more than just to get to know. Yes, absolutely. It's a great location for us. It's generally centrally located in the United States. You know, we have our headquarters only located at Rock Island, roughly 300 soldiers and civilians. And we provide mission command or command and control of an organization that stretches from Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Washington State down to Fort Stewart, Georgia, and lots of areas in between and also in the U.S. territories. So we have a large reach as we connect with the Army National Guard and Reserve and partner with them in generating readiness. What is the key thing that you've noticed from this community? Because uh, we talk about yeah. support. What does support mean to the First Army? S support's important because our families live in the community. We are part of the community. It's not like you know, the Army is on the arsenal and the community is around it. We are in the community. We are part of the community. But what I really like to describe it is that we're surrounded by water on the island. We have a couple bridges. But what's more important, we're surrounded by the love of the communities. The patriotic community that, that takes care of us, uh, we're in their schools, uh, we, we go out, we see them at restaurants, and if you wear a uniform off of the arsenal, 
you can't buy a meal. It's just that the people are so special here and it's a great place to live and to grow as a military. There's been a real concern since the last BRAC, which was a number of years ago, in regards to the future of Arsenal Island and the military presence in the cities. Bringing the First Army to the Quad Cities, at least the headquarters, was the real bedrock now for the community's military link. I mean, does that seem secure at this moment? I know that you're not one of the decision makers that can make that, uh, that type of decision, but I mean, do right. you have a feeling? Oh, I, I feel very comfortable that we're gonna be on the Arsenal for a long time and, and we're tied in with the Army Sustainment Command and we both kind of we bond together to enable readiness in, in the military and and we tie together with the community very well and we're well supported. I'm going to talk a little bit about history because like I said there's a milestone that's going on right now we're talking about D-Day June 6th 75th anniversary for that the greatest generation I, 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 I always picture my father who was so thankful for D-Day. It's his birthday, as a matter of fact, was on June 6th. And so it, you just can't underline how important this day was in the future of the United States militarily as well as the world. Uh, hugely important. It really defined the, the future from then, World War II. Because you and, think that and the explosion of the A-bomb were really the generational pivotal moments of World War II. Yeah, most, most definitely. And, and to be a part of that and to be for First Army to be such a part of that is, is huge. I, I just I am honored to be a, a part of it. You know, for, for example, that we were the first First Army, Omar Bradley planned the D-Day the invasion. And, and to think about that, but to think about it in terms of just Monday was Memorial Day. And to think of the lives that were lost, those that sacrificed their lives on the altar of freedom to, so we can enjoy the freedoms that we so endure. It reminds me a lot of the end of the movie Saving Private Ryan, where you had Captain Miller that was sitting on the dirt leaning against the Jeep, and he's shooting with a pistol, a tank, which is, is obviously not very effective at that point. But then as he is he, he's wounded and he is, eventually passes in that scene, but when he looks at Ryan and says, earn this, I think it's important for all of us in the military and out of the military to earn that sacrifice that they made for our nation so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we so enjoy and love. Well, and I grew up in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, the military going through the Vietnam War was, was considered something very that's different right. than it is today. Right. Is that something that you think Americans, that's a lesson learned? is that there's a war and there's warriors and it's not necessarily the same thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I agree because I grew up during the Vietnam era too as well. And I saw we have learned so much from that war specifically about how important it is to embrace our soldiers and their families to learn from it. I mean, we've learned things on the battlefield like the body armor that we have and the medical treatment that we have allows so many to survive much more effectively now than what than back in the Vietnam era and before that. And so lots of lessons learned there. The other lesson that we're learning constantly right now is the high-tech nature of warfare right now and the fact that we're not even necessarily fighting against nation-states anymore. We're, we're, we're fighting against uh, terrorist groups that could be anywhere for, 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 for an example. How does that make warfare different as far as your leadership command for the First Army? Well, we call it multi-domain battle or multi-domain battlefield. How you define the environment that you just described now as we move into the future with high-tech weapon systems. We have air, land, sea, space, and cyber. I mean, when you asked Second Lieutenant James back in 1985 when I came into the Army and I didn't even have a cell phone, what cyber meant? 
I mean, we've evolved for a, a, over the past 34 years that I've been in the Army on how do we fight in those domains because it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a high-tech military to be able to operate in that environment, especially with drones and, and other things that some extremists can employ on the battlefield today. So we got to be constantly aware of the environment and how it changes and make sure that we're ready for that change. But boy, that also means that you're looking for a different type of recruit in some ways. I mean, you're really looking for somebody that's going to have, be a military person that can get involved in the intelligence area, in the cyber warfare. Uh, uh, I don't want to say a more educated, but certainly a more educated field. Educated, but we still have the requirement to be physically fit. We talk about being fit for the rigors of sustained ground, multi-domain combat, meaning that our soldiers need to be physically fit, they need to be mentally agile and be able to make those decisions split second. And that is often even quicker now because of the environment, the cyber environment and the connected environment that we described, that you talked about. And you were bringing up also the National Reserves and the National Guard, and I, I did want to point this out because uh, this is an article from uh, earlier this year uh, where uh, you were talking about, and I'll quote you right now, I know that we cannot win a war without the National Guard. I look forward to working with you and our formation looks forward to working and strengthening the partnerships we have forged, uh, pointing out that uh, um, the, the First Army mobilizes nearly 45,000 soldiers annually. The, the fact that the National Guard and the reserves exist is no longer just a part-time job in some ways. Well, it, it's very important. You're right. We cannot win a war without them. And one of the interesting facts that I like to tell as well is that we have mobilized over a million National Guard and reserve forces since 9-11. So that gives you a perspective. And if I take you back to John J. Pershing, our first commander back in 1918, he made a comment, and I'm gonna paraphrase this, I'm not gonna be exact, but he says it's not about the active component, it's not about the Army National Guard or the Reserve. It's about training the American citizen for the duties of war. And what we like to, we like to say that back in 1918, John J. Pershing was talking about total force policy and the idea that we got to have all of the components to be able to commit uh, to, to any fight in the future. And one thing I'd like to highlight as well is 60% of our sustainment capability, combat support and combat service support, are in the Guard and Reserve specifically the reserve, we're talking about logistics, intelligence, medical, engineers, those kinds of things that enable our active component to fight are very important. So they have to be tied in. And I'd, I'd mentioned to you earlier, I just came from Korea, and that war plan is heavily supported by the National Guard and Reserve if we ever have to fight on the peninsula. You were talking about when you first came into the Army and how things are so much different. And let's be honest, the makeup of the Army is so much different as well. We're seeing, uh, first off, far more females than ever before, and they're becoming leaders in so many different ways. I know that you welcome that to such a great extent. I mean, is, is, and I, I'm not, is the Army supposed to be a reflection of America, or is America supposed to be a reflection of the Army? I think it's both. I think we're, we're, we're entangled like that. And, and there, there's a very important part of our military for women. And, and I've, I've learned, as I, I mentioned to you earlier, 1st Armor Division and OIF-1, some of our most highly decorated warriors were female. And the other day I was doing a commissioning ceremony at Clemson University in South Carolina. And I was actually helping a family promote to first lieutenant. As, as they are correction second lieutenant as they get com commissioned and she had armor brass on and back when I was a second lieutenant there were not females in armor branch and they're going to do extremely well what do you do then to promote that even further 
would just continue to highlight the, the superstar nature of the, these young females and what they can do. They get after it. We have a, a new physical training test now that is, uh, is generic uh, gender. It's just there's one standard for male and female, and it has several activities that you have to be able to perform on the, on the battlefield. And so that just, you don't see it as much anymore. It's so, inter it, they're all part, they're all soldiers. It doesn't matter male or female or what ethnic background you are. That's what makes us special. And it's taken a while to get to that point. Oh, I mean, back at, way back in our history, obviously, there, we had to do it. I mean, we talked about Vietnam earlier. There were some, some challenges with that, with, with ethnic breakdown in some units. But now, I, I, don't, I don't see that. We work very, very hard as an army to make sure that doesn't exist. Because, you know, we are one, one hand, we're, we're a bunch of fingers that fight as one fist. We've got to be united together. And I see that. You know, they talk about the army profession is defined by character, competence, and commitment. And that character and commitment is hugely important too. Let me talk about also the family, because as you know, I mean, being in the military can be very difficult, not only for the military man or woman, but for the spouse and the rest of the family. And the Army has really, and I know Arstall Island, has done a number of programs to make sure that we, we try to diminish or at least eliminate uh, uh, domestic abuse or, or any type of, uh, you've, you've, got, you've got suicide prevention programs because of the pressures. You, you help people from, for the moves that are occurring. Is the Army doing enough for the entire family situation? Because as you said, the Army's a family. Right. The Army is totally committed to that. We have the programs involved. We just gotta make sure that the leaders can identify those issues early enough and make sure that the programs are employed to take care of families. It, it's, it's hugely important. You know, like I told you, we, we are, are all one giant community and family. That soldiers, our DA civilians, and our family members, and we got to make sure we take care of them. You know, there, there's an old saying I'd heard one time that uh, that soldiers write uh, write the checks, but families pay the bills mm -hmm. when it comes to missing uh, parent-teacher conferences, anniversaries, and those kinds of things because of long exercises and deployments. So we got to be connected with our families and understand that impact on the family so that we can make sure they have the help they need and the programs they need and the love they need to take care of them. And I think that'd be more difficult in a military family because you are trying to create strength and 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 uh, um, and toughness, and perhaps you can't admit a weakness. Yeah, let, let me uh, give you a couple of examples too. My daughter, my daughter went to seven schools in seven years, four different high schools, three different middle schools, and and we've moved 25 times as a family. And that's just us. That's representative of a whole bunch of folks that have even had to endure more of that kind of family impact and stress. But I would never ever tell her that oh, you're going to be better for it. It's no problem. I recognize that that's an issue and a challenge, and we had to take care of it, and that's what we did. And, and she's now at Clemson University, and she's a junior. <laughs> and we got two boys, too, that went through it, but not quite as bad as she did, just based on the time in my career. So we got to recognize those moves, and we got to make sure that we take care of our families. Well, we have just a few moments left, and okay. I, I know that you want to point out that, that the pride of, of Arsenal Island isn't the installation, but the people. Um, and, and, and we've heard over and over again how uh, uh, they've tried to you know, cut costs, still be effective to help uh, America's soldiers, uh, sailors, Marines, fighting men and women all around the world. As far as cutting costs, I, mean, I feel like we're resourced, we're resourced very well. I, I, th I feel like our Army is, is doing a great job. We have priorities. You've got to prioritize, obviously. There's not only a finite amount of resources, and you've got to do it effectively. And so the priorities in the Army right now are, are generating readiness in case we have to fight. That's a key component. The next one is modernizing 
making sure that we're ready for the future because we got to be a step ahead of our enemies whenever we are. The third one is reform. And the reform is a key component of what you just asked me about. The idea that we have to have the systems in place to maximize the resources that are available. We have a huge military budget and we got to use it effectively and we got to be responsible with it. And then the last priority is, it is not last, it is a top priority is people. And, and we are people-based organizations I talked to you before. Lieutenant General Thomas James Jr., Commanding General of the First Army. Thanks for listening to The Cities with Jim Mertens. And watch The Cities Thursday nights at 7, Sunday afternoon at 4, and Monday night at 6 on WQPT, PBS for the Quad Cities region. Tribune Audio Network. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.